Man, tell you I like Sundays, yeah? I like Sundays, yeah? So I've, uh, I've shared this before, but I, um, I work out. Yeah, I do. I do. I do. Reverend's got some muscles. They're hard to see, but they're there. Um, but I work out at a local gym here in town, uh, not only to get fit-ish, um, but it's, a gym's always kind of been my watering hole, right? It's just a place I've been comfortable in, you know, so it's a really cool place for me to get to know some of my neighbors, right? Some reasons I love working out there. But I'll tell you this, too. There's a selfish reason. It's also a really good place to do some research, get some material for my sermons, you know? I told you about that guy a few weeks ago in the gym that was wearing the T-shirt, remember? T-shirt said, hardest worker in the gym. Adam, you work out with me there. You know what I'm talking about? Where'd he go? He's out here? Oh, bathroom. That's awkward. Um, <laughs> there's this guy who wears his shirt. says, hardest worker in the gym. That's a bad idea. You don't wear that shirt to the gym. You just don't, right? But there was another experience that happened a couple weeks ago. Uh, working out next to this guy who was on the phone having a conversation while he was doing back squats. Seriously. Like, not just when he was, like, loading the bar, but, like, when he was actually doing the reps. He's, like, having this conversation. You know, having this conversation. I, I just can't think of very many conversations that are that important, you know, that I have to have while I'm doing back squats. They're awful enough, right? But he's, he's having this conversation. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to go about my business, just kind of let him do his thing. But then the topic of the conversation caught my attention. I wasn't eavesdropping. Because when you're talking that loud in a public space, that conversation is now public property. Am I right? And so he was talking about this girl that he was going to be taken on a date and who was apparently a Christian. And he was excited about this. This was like a big deal to him. And uh, he went on to say to this person on the other line, I'm going to take her out to dinner and I'm going to find out how much of a Christian she is. Like how into Jesus she really I'm going to find out if this is like, you know, for real or not. I couldn't help but imagine like, how he would go about doing that. You know, like, seeing, like, how into Jesus this girl was. Like, what sort of evidence would he be looking for, like, over dinner? Like, would she have to come in wearing, like, a Christian t-shirt? With, like, a Bible verse on it, right? Would she have to be wearing, like, a WWJD bracelet? Yeah? Like, is he going to keep track of how many times she says the name Jesus in their conversation? You know, maybe she suggests pray before. Like, how are you going to identify you know, if this person is a real Jesus follower, not over a dinner. Now, I think there are some things that he could certainly learn about her faith over a dinner conversation. No doubt. But I would argue that if he really wanted to see how into Jesus she was, he'd have to watch how she loved her neighbor. Am I right? Remember this. You read the Gospels. How many times? How many times Jesus gets asked, what's this all about? What's the main thing? What's, the, what's this all about? What's life, faith all about? And how does he answer it every single time? You love God and you love your neighbor. And for Jesus, those weren't two different things. They were two sides of the same coin. Man, you know how we love God? We love our neighbor. And we know we love our neighbor well if we let God love us first. And if we love them in the model of God's love for us. It's the same thing. How do we love God? We love our neighbor. And of course, he went on to say, love your neighbor as yourself. That's important. Because it communicates this sort of equity, doesn't it? If it's not good enough for my neighbor, then it's not good enough for me. If things aren't good for my neighbor, then they're not good for me either. Do you feel that equity there, right? 
And by neighbor, Jesus didn't just mean the people next door that you can borrow some sugar from. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus makes it clear. You know who your neighbor is? Anybody you come across that could benefit from your help. That's who your neighbor is. Not just somebody who can pay you back, but somebody that you can help. That's your neighbor. Love God, love neighbor. Yes, there is more to being a Christian than that. There is, right? But that's meant to be the identifier. That's meant to be the identifier, the thing that marks us as followers of Jesus. You see, from the beginning, the church has been called to be a good neighbor. And there's this description of the early church in the book of Acts. Right, the book of Acts is the book that comes after the Gospels, and it tells the story of like how the church got started. And there's this description of the early church in the second chapter that I love. It says that they enjoyed the favor of all the people. Think about that. They enjoyed the favor of all the people. That word favor means gratitude. So they, they had the gratitude of all the people, and that phrase, all the people, means all the people. And remember, the early church started in Jerusalem. It was this big, ancient city. But this description tells us that there was something about the presence of the early church, the first followers of Jesus in that city, that engendered the gratitude of everybody living there. Think about that. That means that whether you were a part of the church or not, you were grateful for them. Wow. That's who we're meant to be, y'all. That's who I want us to be. I want us to be a good neighbor especially to the people who call the Midlands home. Right? And we've worked hard this year to put some strategy behind this desire so it's not just empty words. One of the ways we're doing that is we set aside a few Sundays. Instead of hearing a sermon, we're going to have a discussion about some of the issues in the Midlands that they are making life harder than it has to be for some of our neighbors. Right? We did that a few months ago, if you remember, with the food insecurity. Today, we're going to talk about housing, housing insecurity in the Midlands. It's a big deal for a lot of our neighbors, a whole lot of them, many of whom are children. You know, we, we started working with the social workers our first Christmas. Remember that together? We, we took up an offering, and it went to the social workers in uh, Lexington School District 5, and just hearing some of the stories uh, that they share with us. We, we've got a whole lot of kids in this school district that are transient, which means that they might stay in three or four different homes during the week, like all while trying to go to school. Imagine the stress of that. In fact, uh, this past year, uh, our kids go to Nursery Road right around the corner. Love that school. Um, but it's an art magnet school, so they incorporate arts into everything. And one of the things they, did, they, did, they started back last year is the fifth graders came up with an original opera. So they had to write it, build the sets, perform it, all of it, right? You know what the storyline was, though? It was about a kid whose family was living in their car, and they didn't want their friends to find out. What's that tell you? Something they're familiar with. Either they've experienced it personally or one of their friends has experienced it. This is a real thing. And it's something that we're meant to care about because it's a big deal to our neighbors. So this morning we're going to hear from a panel of uh, people who are, who are doing awesome things in the Midlands around the issue of housing. They're going to share with us some of the, what they're doing and also talk to us about how we can be a part of it too. This is an important Sunday. You agree? Can I pray for us? And I'm going to invite him to come up. Let's pray. God, over and over again in the scriptures, um, you refer to your people as a house, as a home, as a place of refuge, as a household. That's something. That says something about the kind of presence that we're meant to have.
in the world around us. And so I just pray for this conversation. I thank you for the people who have said yes to this, who have made time to be with us today. Lord, I pray that you all give us a sense of what the next right thing is to do, and then give us the courage and the wisdom to follow through on that. We love you, Jesus. It's your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, friend. Okay, I want to shift a little bit so I'm not in front of you. I was just told to be in the light. All right. I didn't hear that, Jerry. Well, good morning. We tried to do that during the prayer. It's hard to be quiet with these steps, though. It's like sneaking out of the house. I'm just kidding. I never did that. Well, my name is Dylan, if we have not had a chance to meet. Um, and some of you might not remember me because I've been gone for two weeks, so... Thanks for having me back, and I'm excited. Uh, Nick's already laid it out really well, so I'm not going to dig into the structure and why. But I will say, I think some of you still are confused and baffled by what I get to do day to day, like what is my job really? And I think Spotlight Sunday is a lot of fun for me because I kind of get to allow you into the fishbowl of my life, um, working with incredible people like this, having these types of conversations, and trying to do good in the Midlands um, with topics that are really big and daunting, and, and I think all of you will attest that um, each of us has kind of a niche. I think that's another thing I love about Spotlight Sunday is you're going to see how this is a big topic. Each one of these people works in a specific niche area of that topic, and yet we could all keep doing it for the rest of our lives and still not solve it if it was just the four of us up here. And so we figure out ways to pull people into that work and make the work a little bit more manageable. And so I love these opportunities to get to share with you um, mainly the people that are out in the community doing this incredible work, um, but also to share this topic so that we can figure out how to get, uh, get plugged in. So I'm going to jump right in, um, and I'll let you guys introduce yourselves if you'd like to, just briefly. Um, so just tell us who you are and what organization you're with, and we'll start down here, Joe. Hey, good morning. It's great to be here with you this morning. Um, I'm Joe Huggins with Homeworks of America, and um, we are a local ministry nonprofit that provides free home repairs for elderly, disabled, and veteran homeowners who qualify for our program. My name is Emily Blackshire Deal. I am a housing justice attorney with South Carolina Appleseed. South Carolina Appleseed is um, a policy and advocacy organization. We're a legal justice center that specifically works um, to advocate for the interests of low-income people, and so. We have attorneys in healthcare and education, in consumer um, protections. We have public benefits work. We've done immigration stuff in the past, and I am specifically running housing. Good morning, everyone. Jeff Armstrong, the executive director of Family Promise of the Midlands, and we serve families experiencing homelessness and partner with the faith community in doing that. We partner with 34 congregations currently. You've learned how to keep that brief. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> So we do, we got about 20 minutes, so I'll keep us there, but I also want to say I hope this is conversational. So I know that you guys got some questions ahead of time, but if something pops up that somebody else said and you want to jump into that or maybe even ask a question of that, please feel free to. I hope that we're modeling a conversation about the issue for folks. But we'll start with the first one to get us going, um, and we'll start with Jeff and come back down this way. Just talk to us about how you see housing insecurity affecting our community, specifically here in the Midlands, and maybe tell folks a little bit about how you define housing insecurity. Sure, so there's a specific homeless definition that HUD has that 
maybe a little bit different than how we're serving our families because we do find them doubled up as we talk about. We get calls from uh, school resource officers and different things. But our organization specifically is trying to identify those families not only in need of housing, but in need of that support to kind of get them out of that fight or flight mode. Because when you're in that, you can't make any decisions. When you're worried about what you're gonna eat tonight, where you're gonna stay, you can't make decisions about your life. So a big part of what we're doing in, in partnering with the faith community is identifying places where our families can live and then provide those services beyond just the housing. And uh, we have various programs for doing that. But one of the things I did wanna say, because Nick kind of just brought this up in my mind, um, just the lived experience, how important that is. When I was growing up actually living in, in my car with my family in California and in that stigma of having no fixed address and trying to figure out, not wanting your friends to know, wearing the same thing, washing up in, in bathrooms at gas stations. And through the grace of God, I'm here with you all talking to you this morning about this issue because not only am I passionate about it, but I want those same children to have a place to live, to be able to host the tape, open table dinners that you are having. I want our families to do that same thing. So I think when we're talking about what the faith community can do for our families, it's, it's not just providing just the housing. It's the love and support of the community. Yeah, I've, I would absolutely agree with everything Jeff said. I think, um, so before I was at Appleseed, before I was like in, in more policy work, I was a public defender. And before that, I was a teacher at a Title I school. And so when I was a public defender, I had a lot of clients who their main source of strife in their life, the reason they kept getting arrested and needing a defense attorney was because they did not have a stable place to sleep. And I think, like Jeff said, the wraparound support of the community is not just in advocating for development, advocating for laws that protect tenants and protect um, individuals who are at risk of becoming homeless. I think it's also fighting against our own biases and that stigma and that desire to punish people for being poor. Um, I think, you know, we often want to work with solutions that that we um, have positive feelings about. We want to be like part of part of the help, but I think sometimes the help is just remembering that the folks we see living on the streets, that the folks we see sleeping in their cars are just like you and me. Um, and I think oftentimes, you know, we come here with organizations that we support, but sometimes just remembering to like really treat the person you come across on Main Street like a human being can make all the difference in, in what escalates that person's day and might even lead to an arrest later for something silly. And so, I don't know, I feel like as a, I have this policy hat that I wear now of, of how we can advocate for laws that really do those things and really keep people housed and can create more opportunities to get housed. But ultimately, I think so much of homelessness and the day-to-day -day lives of people who are experiencing it has to do with how you and I navigate our world to make sure that we are taking steps to not other people who are in situations that they're but for the grace of God, all of us could be in. And I get to follow those two. <laughs> um, I'm not sure where to begin with, with the homework story, but um, the cheapest house is the one that's never built. Mm. And Columbia, South Carolina, and South Carolina on a whole is, is filled with homes with good bones. The post-war boom in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and you see it here in Irmo, of brick homes that are well-built. Mm -hmm. 
but wood rots. That's a fact of life. And when you have an elderly lady living by herself, her husband is with the Lord, um, preventative maintenance does not get done. And so roofs fail, soffits fail, and, and a house can die from the inside out because of water. Um, why that is important is because everybody in this room, no matter how old you are, when you have a problem, you run to mama. And three years ago, we had a huge problem in this country with the pandemic and Reynolds. Um, I'm not as smart as these folks here. I, I'm, I, I'm a civil engineer, water rolls downhill, paydays on Friday, okay? Um, but when you get in trouble, you run to mama. And, and as I'm driving around Columbia looking at houses that we're about to repair with good folks like Emmaus Church, I start to see trash piles with mattresses and furniture and stuff all out on the front. People are, I didn't understand it at the time, but people are getting evicted. And then as we're repairing homes for elderly, you start seeing the shoes lined up by the door great-grandmamas are now taking care of grandchildren and great-grandchildren because that's the only place they have to go. And I think we heard the theme with these two beside me is that um, you're one step away from homelessness when you're in that situation, okay? And every decision you make, if you don't have a place to go, those decisions are chaos, so I feel like that, in a sense, Homeworks is, is the stopgap from creating a much larger situation than you have with a leaky roof. And as the pastor said, being a good neighbor, my job is to get the roof on. But my passion is the gospel. And my passion is to change the heart of our city. And the way we do that is with the Lord Jesus and the good news of the gospel. And the best way to share the gospel, in my opinion, is don't tell me, show me. Yeah, I echo that. Um, the moment I knew I was called to ministry was when we replaced a door handle on an elderly disabled woman's home. Because um, I knew I was tangibly showing that she was loved. So I echo that sentiment for sure. I want to stick with you real quick. Because um, we were talking about this in the lobby, and I think it's a good segue. When we think housing insecurity, and especially that's been ask, exacerbated by the pandemic, and it's led us to talk a lot about affordable housing and access to housing. But when we say housing insecurity, I mean, I could go down a list. That is uh, those experiencing homelessness. That is those who are cost burdened and can barely afford to stay in the home that they're in. People on the verge of eviction. People who need disaster relief care. I could keep going. And so... Can we go down the line, and I wanted to start with you because you're, you're in a unique position in a sense of defining housing insecurity and how homeworks fits into that outside of just the normal thought of homelessness. So can we kind of go down and say, how does your organization help to alleviate uh, housing insecurity? And you touched on it a little bit already, but also kind of that disaster relief piece and things we were talking about before. Yeah, certainly. Well, like I said, I, I, I want to be the, the stopgap between um, someone in a home and someone that's homeless. And so if we're able to take 
dollars $2,000, $3,000, $4,000 and extend the life of a home from anywhere from 15 to 20 to 25 years, that's a place to start. Um, and I certainly do not begrudge someone getting a new home or building a new home. I, I know around our city, you can see it, there are a lot of housing um, developments going up, and that's wonderful and that's great. Um, but for Columbia, that's a once-in-a-lifetime um, experience. Um, and, and you're talking hundreds of millions of dollars um, to do that. We're $2,000 every weekend. And I think there's both, I think that there's a place for everyone in that equation, but um, quantity is gonna matter as we keep going down the road of affordable housing. And so why not take the stock of good homes that we have built here in Columbia and extend those and cover a lot more people than we would with just new builds, new builds, and new builds. And just real quick, you had mentioned earlier that you all do play a role in disaster relief. Can you touch on that briefly? I just want people to see all the ways they can plug in. Certainly. Um, disaster relief, um, a lot of great people on the ground immediately. Um, HomeWorks, uh, we love to support folks that are going, you know, away. Our founder, Hank Chardos, um, who started HomeWorks here 30 years ago, um, he's our disaster guy. If something bad happens in South Carolina or Texas, wherever, the first phone call I get is Hank Chardos, I need the truck and the trailer, and um, we're going. And so we do that. But I, I tell folks, HomeWorks um, is more, it was a great day in South Carolina with football, so I think I can bring a football analogy. Um, we're, we're not your first down back. You know, if something bad happens, we're going to help any way that we can. But we're, we're more third down. We're, we're a year, two years, three years later. We're the blue tarp folks. Um, when something bad happens, great folks come in and do a lot of great work. But they can only do it for so long, and you can only help so many. Um, we're down in the PD area of South Carolina, where we're still recovering from hurricanes six, seven, eight years ago. Um, so... Um, Disaster response, disaster recovery, two different things, but they're the same. I love this lineup you have because I do feel like we all have such different, like it's so cool to hear the really tangible repair side and the really human family promise side. And, you know, Appleseed is sort of zoomed out. And so as an organization for the past 35 years, Appleseed has been really involved in drafting laws and then also implementing policies within court rules and, and other things that impact the lives of all South Carolinians, but with low-income South Carolinians and protecting their rights and their dignity in mind first and foremost. And so some of that for my job is um, working on kind of molding systems like, for example, we're implementing a new housing model in Richland County to provide lawyers at people's court dates so that when they are faced with eviction, they can get a lawyer then and there so that they um, can hopefully stay in their homes. But we also know that things like that are not sufficient to kind of stop the tidal wave that an eviction can have in someone's life. Um, in South Carolina, as the law is written, you are virtually unable to get even an eviction filing off of your record. And so what happens is people... Um, have an eviction filed against them for whatever reason, whether it's they have an agreement with their landlord. We've heard 
this happen a lot where someone has an agreement with the landlord that they pay after that first Friday paycheck. That first Friday paycheck happens to be after the fifth of the month. Landlord is a big corporate entity. They have a policy that they just automatically file. Everyone is on the same page that that eviction is going to get dismissed, but it doesn't matter once that eviction is actually filed. It will come up in any tenant screening report of that person for the rest of their lives as the law is written. And so we're working on solutions to things like that to kind of stop the bleed earlier on so that people who have an eviction filed against them aren't then unable to find new housing after they're you know, either evicted or it's simply the end of their time in a certain complex. Because we hear all the time from folks who are stuck in places that aren't safe, aren't healthy for their families, where their kids are exposed to mold and they're going to the doctor all the time and they're missing work and it just becomes this big cycle. Because right now as the law is written, you don't have a whole lot of options to safely leave, especially because, like we're all talking about here, like there is such a shortage of attainable, affordable, safe housing in the Midlands and really the whole state. Um, and so we're working on solutions to laws like that, but it can feel really zoomed out, like arc of the universe, less human. And it's so cool just to be among the people who are on the ground every day with folks because we get a lot of phone calls, but it's different. Also, Appleseed has such a history of doing work that impacts low-income South Carolinians. We know that when there is a housing issue, a lot of times there's also a healthcare issue, and a lot of times there's also issues at schools, and there's a lot of time there's also um, consumer finance issues where you know you you have a payday loan that you're never going to get out of debt for because the interest is so high. So we're sort of working across lots of areas to ensure that someone as a whole person is protected, but we do it so much further back in the timeline that a lot of the individuals that we talk to every day that are calling and saying, what do I do? I, I can't move, or what do I do? My landlord you know, refuses to fix a hole in my wall and my kids are freezing. Um, a lot of times it, it will take us years and years and years to be able to remedy that for everyone in that situation and that can be discouraging. So it's really cool to be here. Um, and when that thing, those things happen, we try to connect them to people that can help them here and now. But, um, you know, it's just cool. Partnerships are the most important part of any of the work that we do. And so it's, I don't know, I'm really touched that we are all kind of on this team together. Sounded like a two-parter, Dylan. You said also how <laughs> can Emmaus be involved? So, okay, good. All right, so we, our goal is to keep families together because when that split happens is when you see the folks who are downtown who are chronically homeless. So by keeping families together and getting these wraparound services involved, that truly helps a family lift them, not just out of poverty, but gives them a different mindset and helps them connect with people and, and uh, family members and things such as that. So I think that's a big goal of ours. Last year we served 363 unique families um, and we're inundated with calls. And so that could look different. It could be not just providing housing or providing prevention funds for a family to stay in housing. It could be providing shoes for a child to, to go to school. It could be paying for gymnastic classes, which is part of the miracle offering is what we did for children through our Tomorrow's Promise program. Because I know how important it is for children living in these households to have these experiences. And a lot of the funding, grant funding, doesn't necessarily pay for those kind of things. So it's important for us to reach out and find just not the funding, but also, I don't know if Brooke and Jason Chahosky are in the crowd somewhere. That was just as awkward as a bathroom thing. Oh, are they, are they okay? Oh, yeah, okay, okay. It's not in the bathroom, is he? Okay, okay, good. No, but um, so please, Brooke, Brooke is, a, is a board member of ours, and um, Fran, uh, Kathy Cooper, folks who would just be involved. And as I mentioned, we have 34 different partner 
congregations. We're starting something brand new this year. Generally, it's a week of service, but this year we're doing a Big 12. So Emmaus is one of our Big 12, and we're looking for folks to help lead. As, as we're talking about tables, we want to have those tables at our Opportunity Center. We want our families to feel the same love that you all feel and that same mixing that you all feel when you go to each other's houses. That's a big part of what we're trying to do. And I get excited every time I see the future home of a man sign driving because I know Pastor Nick and, and, and Dylan and everyone else, you guys have a vision of service. I'm going to present at, a, at another congregation after this, and it's like being a child after recess. You got to go. I love this congregation, but man, this high, I feel high energy. I'm like I'm coming in for recess when I presented the next congregation. But you all have, have the vision that Family Promise has. We, we share that vision of serving families. It might not be the exact way that, that everyone does it, but, man, when, when those families, when you see them, we're doing the uh, – I'm sorry, Dylan. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop after this. We're doing uh, – we have a, actually Today Show. We're doing the Today Show this week. Uh, Craig Melvin and his brother have purchased a home that their mother grew up in, and uh, they're going to let Family Promise use that home. And what I love about it is the mom who's moving in, she has, she's nervous, but we've been talking through it and all that good stuff. And Craig Melvin is a professional, as we all know. Uh, she had her hair done. She looks beautiful. And one of the moms who graduated our program with her uh, beautician's license did her hair for free, right? And, and those are the stories. That's what we want to build, that sense of community. So the moms that are coming to us, the, the fathers who are coming to us, they're, they're, they're not in a position to even go back to school. They can't think beyond that. But when you get community around them, when you have people start sharing stories, Latoya Reed, different people who come in and say, you know what, I know exactly where you are. I was there before, but this is where I'm at. When they see people walking it and then talking, right, it helps them lift them up out of the space they're in. So that's what we're looking for at our center, and we're right up the road off of Broad River and Omer. So come by anytime. Come by and visit us. Um, and I, I can't wait for us to see what we're going to do in the future with you all by our side. You keep getting claps. I said, you keep getting claps. Uh, no, everyone's getting, every, everyone's way more awesome than me. I'm here. Um, so, yeah, I'm trying to stay on track with 11, and then we'll call Nick back up here to close us out. But I do want to end with, with some story if you've got some, something left. And I do want to just point out again, um, obviously in 30 minutes on a Sunday, we can't cover all of this. And so I hope that you've started to hear things about disaster relief and 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 serving seniors and, and disabled folks in a different way. I hope maybe you heard some things about the law that you didn't know before, um, particularly around eviction law in South Carolina. Um, I hope that you've you've learned some new ways about transitional living and how we can keep people out of homelessness until they find permanent housing. But again, those are just three things that could go, we could I could take Emily and we could talk for the next hour and then do the same with Jeff. And so I hope that this is just sparking things in you. And whatever really hits you, run with it. Ask more questions. Look up the organization. Contact these folks. Get in touch with me. I'll get you in touch with them, whatever. But the goal is not that you just learn the information today. It's that we go and do something with it. And so that's why I'm ending here with story, because obviously story is going to go home with you. And so I know we have to protect clients' rights and their autonomy and things like that. But is there something that sticks with you over the years of the work that you've done that you'd love to share um, with, with the congregation that they can take home about the work that you're doing? Whomever. We, we have this actually on video, one of our families uh, walking through one of our transitional homes, and the, the children are so excited, and one of the first things they say is, we have a refrigerator. 
you know, and, and, and those are the things that really kind of center you and, and not only make you feel blessed, but remind you of why we're doing the work that we're doing. And then they run to their rooms. We have our own rooms. This is the first time we ever had our own rooms. And we're talking, third, we're not, you know, there's a five-year-old, but there's also a 13-year-old. And to think of what those children have experienced in their lives, um, not just in that moment, but all the trauma they've experienced up to that point. And I'm a firm believer that you solve trauma with community. You can't do it by yourself. And it, and, and it takes a village. It literally takes a village. So a lot of what we're trying to do with our case manager, our services, and, and just showing people the love that the community has for them could be the first time that they experience that. So I'm just having those families have those experiences because I, I remember every my first our family's first car was from the church where my mom, she worked as a secretary at the church. That was, that was our first car. We got food out of the food pantry at that church. And I used to put bar soap on the, the timing belt of that car because it squeaked so loud when I was driving into the high school parking lot. But those are kind of the memories that you'll never forget. That child will never forget running into that room and having her own bed. And she'll remember who did it. She might not remember all the people. But I promise you, those seeds that you're planting now that really might feel like, oh, I'm just giving you know, 50 bucks here, 100 bucks here, or I'm just volunteering for a day here when your do-good day on the September 30th, it, you might not see it or feel it, but man, those seeds grow. And I'm living testament to that, and I'm in front of you all right here today because of the people who cared enough about me and my family to provide those things. So, yeah, I'm going to sort of borrow a story that is our, we were part of it, but it was really another attorney that made it possible. But we were getting calls about a really severe habitability concern in a mobile home park where basically, um, I mean, you think of a concern for your health and safety in a household and it was there. There were holes in the walls, there were really severe vermin infestations, kids um, were like waking up covered in roaches, like bites of roaches, like it was awful. And I have a friend and colleague who is an attorney at what's called the Champs Clinic. It's a medical legal partnership where kids get um, referred from Prisma Health in these types of situations um, just to figure out a new place to live. In the process of getting this attorney getting involved, the family gets an eviction filed against them because they're withholding rent because it's not safe, but you can't not pay your rent in South Carolina no matter what, you'll, you can still be um, evicted. And basically what ended up happening was this like months long legal battle in the magistrate court about whether or not this family owed this landlord money for this horrible living situation. And it went on for months and months and months. And so we got kind of called in because I'm friends with the other attorney. And basically, there, there was never an eviction formally. A writ of ejectment was never signed over. So she was never formally evicted, but they still had this filing. And it took like cross-agency collaboration, including a letter from a very respectable, like integrity-filled judge to a new landlord so that they could eventually move. We had some community partners who helped pay the security department and uh, the security deposit because, you know, moving costs were expensive. We had some partners that donated furniture and the family ultimately moves into this new apartment and the first thing their four-year-old daughter said was, mommy, there's no roaches here. And it was just like, this is it. Like everyone deserves to live in a place where they're not even thinking about roaches, if they can, in South Carolina, but you know, <laughs> you're, you deserve to live in a place where you feel safe and comfortable and where you can thrive. Um, and we all still kind of keep up with this mom and 
the kids are doing great. Like they, they've made it through summer school, they've, they're back in school this year um, at a great school district and they're happy and good and that's kind of what it's all about. I hate that it takes us months and months and months of litigation for what feels like the outcome that we all deserve but that is, you know, that's the world we're, we're working with and so like the world we're working towards is one where we don't have to, to do so much on the front end for that. Um, and I would just say like if you are in the real estate community or if you have experienced any of these things, we always want to talk. We always want to figure out ways that we can work together towards this better world. Um, and so I know everyone up here would say reach out to any of us, but if especially if you are experiencing the things that I've talked about today, like please grab me. I would love to chat and kind of see how we can incorporate your ideas into where we're going forward. Short story long. Uh, the, last, the last two years, um, Homeworks has held a uh, fundraising event, a sporting clay shoot. Um, and of course, when you do one of those, you have to have auction items. So folks will come in and you know, buy stuff and we can raise money. Went to see a good friend of mine, Mr. Brent Skinner in the Vista, um, men's clothing shop down there to give us some things, see if he could give us some things for the, uh, for the fundraiser. And um, gave me a bunch of wonderful shirts, you know, to auction off. And I said, Brent, I noticed that a lot of the stuff in your store is garnet. Um, we're going to have, we're going to have folks from both sides of the aisle <laughs> come to this clay shoot and um, I, I need some orange. And, and Brent said, well, Joey, I can't help you. Okay. It's garnet and black or nothing. Okay. So he told me to call um, his friend um, over at Craig Regan Clothiers in Lexington downtown. He'll have all the orange stuff you want. So I go over there one day, and, and I'm, I'm arranging my day to go pick up the very nice gift that, that they gave us um, to go see a home that was sourced to us through Lexington Hospital. And the initial words that I was getting, you know, is no water, no water in the home, okay? So I go and pick up the gift, and, and Chris Kemp, you know, that works with us, you know, he... He hands me the address and then tells me a little bit of the story and we're going to go do the preview. And so I walk out of Craig Regan and I think immediately, okay, we're heading to um, a home with no water and, and, you know, we're probably heading out, way out Lexington, you know, Batesburg, Pillion, Gaston, those places. And so I get in the truck and I put in the address of the home he gave me, um, 0.6 miles. And I drive four blocks from the Irish pub and the courthouse in downtown Lexington to this lady's home, four blocks away from downtown that had not had water in her home for seven years. And her daughter lived there. Her handicapped daughter, granddaughter lived there. And one of her great-granddaughters lived in that home. And they would gather their water from a drip and then heat it on their hot plate to have hot water at their kitchen sink. And for $762, we replaced their water system and got them a hot water heater, and they've got water. I'm gonna invite Nick to come up and close us out. Um, you can be a part of these stories. 
And that's not why. I'm not saying that's why. Um, but when when was that, you said? That was this summer. That was this summer. Okay. And you'll remember that story for quite some time. And so I hope that you remember why we do the things that we do in Mercy and Justice Ministries. And the reason why you plug in is to make a difference and to be a good neighbor. So your homework these folks are going to hang out out there for a few minutes. I know Jeff's got to run. He's got to leave recess and go to the other church. But um, but we all know, Jeff, we can get in touch with you. But these folks will hang out. Come talk to them. Ask your questions. If you haven't signed up for Do Good Day, um, I know we've got a homeworks project. Hopefully, maybe something's coming from Family Promise. And then we've got some other projects around housing as well. If you're available on September 30th, sign up for Do Good Day. And then I'm really excited about the where the Mercy and Justice portal is headed on the website. You're going to really be able to connect with all these organizations coming soon and really know what they all do and have an easy way to get in touch with them and get plugged in. So I'm excited about the work that we've done. I just ask that you do your part, too. And so I'm going to invite Nick up. And can we thank these folks for coming? For real. You know, uh, we live in a day and age where everybody just wants to blame people. Everybody's looking for somebody to blame for all the problems in the world. I'm just grateful for people who help. Are you with me? I think that's who we should be too, right? Just be people who help. Um, and I'm going to say, I, I, I think Do Good Day uh, is one of those things you need to re rearrange your schedule for. You know, if you do not have time to volunteer and to help with things like this, then you're busy with a bunch of stuff that probably doesn't matter. I know where I'm coming from, right? I love you. But it's really hard, you know, to find people who can carve out time to just show up and help every now and then, Right? And so I'm, just, I'm challenging you. Maybe Do Good Day is just the first time that you, you set aside some time to help us and to volunteer. And maybe that starts something where you can make it a priority to, to work time into your schedule to be a part of helping. You with me on that? Imagine what the world would be like if we could all find some time to participate in some of the things that people like this are doing. Imagine how things would change. It'd be pretty cool, right? We pray for us, and then we'll get you out of here. God, again, thank you. Thank you for helpers. Uh, for people who spend their time looking for ways to just bring more of your good into the world. And we want to be a church who follows our lead. Because that's the kind of church that the world needs. The kind of church that you've dreamed about. So help us to be that. Help us to be a place um, that partners with helpers. So that we can become helpers too. We love you Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Y'all be hanging out in the lobby, right? Starting point's happening over here in the nursery. Uh, we're starting a new series next week. Thanks for coming. We'll see you Sunday.